Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope that your week has gone well. Glad that you're able to join us t today. Today's message is difficult in many, many respects. And even as I'm sitting in the back, I can feel the weight of it begin to mount on my heart as it's been something that I've wrestled through quite a bit. Um, I, I had every intention of doing the next couple of sections in Luke to cover the garden scene as one, but as I was going through the message this week, I was already three or four pages into the message, and I've only gone through two verses. So I realized very quickly I'm going to have to adjust some things. Um, this message for me was cathartic in a lot of ways, meaning I was able to get some things off of my chest, I was able to process through some things with God. So it was one of those where the study, the prayer time, the time that you spend wrestling through some things was beneficial for me. Some of that can come out in the message today, but again, it was just one of those messages that was kind of a battle. It's going to cover some issues that are addressed in the passage that deal with our own lives and how we can apply those to our lives as we see Jesus being the model that he always is. The narrative of the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22 follows the in, him instructing his disciples about how to prepare for the coming crises that were ahead of them. This preparation will continue uh, to teach us about the purpose of prayer. As he instructs his disciples to pray to not be led into temptation, a call back to Luke 11 and the model of prayer, but also praying to be able to align yourself with the will of God, which is going to be kind of our main focus today. Within this section, we're going to see the weight of the world that is going to be upon Jesus, how agony, suffering, pain, grieving, how that can impact the pleading and the passion of our prayer life. You know, prayer is an interesting thing. Have you ever noticed a difference to when a difference in your prayers when the situation becomes a little bit more quote unquote serious? How maybe sometimes we're just kind of going through the motions. It's just something that we do. It might seem a little artificial. And you compare that to the times when you are on your knees pleading in tears, where your heart is twisted in agony, and it feels like your body is convulsing, convulsing because it's just shaking, and the battle that is raging on is so intense. Do you ever have those differences in the times of prayer? Ultimately, we want to remember that prayer is about communing with God. We can ask for requests. We ask to align ourselves with his will. And most importantly, I think, prayer is about praising and worshiping him, identifying who God is. Prayer, it doesn't have to be long and flowy with big words. It's an opportunity to come before God, before the throne, to focus in on who he is. 
It can be personal. It can be public. Prayer is something that we can share with one another to strengthen and encourage one another so that we can face what this life holds for us. Today we're going to be reading in Luke 22. I'm going to begin today in verse 39, and we'll read through 46. Beginning in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Father, as we go to your word today, I pray that you would open up our hearts to your spirits moving, that you would convict us in different areas in our life, and that we can lean in a little bit closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, it's a short passage here in Luke, but I think that Luke's gospel, to me, shares the greatest portrait of agony that Jesus is going through, even though it doesn't have all the same details uh, that the other Gospels have in terms of him coming and going three different times to the disciples. I think that it portrays his agony well. Agony is defined as extreme physical or mental states of suffering. People agonize and grieve over many things in life. Some are warranted, others maybe not so much, like a hangnail. Now, the person going through that can definitely think that it's agonizing to where our perception can come into play a little bit with this. I think it's important to remember that circumstances hit people differently. Within this section and next week's, I find a lot of agonizing things. As I said, this week was a tough week for me to put things in an orderly way because when you touch on issues of pain, it kind of can set off triggers to go to other areas in your life. When you think about things that you agonize over in your life, you can see that happening as well. So this morning, I want to lean into this a little bit, wrestling with the pains and hurts of life in order that we can give them over to the Lord, understanding that he is the one that we can fully trust. He is the one that has his plan to redeem us fully. And we want to rest 
in that. Again, trying our best to view the model that Jesus gives us here and live our lives accordingly. It's not always easy to do, but we're going to attempt to lean into that this morning. And I'm going to say the word lean quite a bit, just a heads up. In this first verse, we have some logistics. Now, we want to remember this verse for when we talk about Judas next week. But as it says, as was his custom. And this would be Judas's clue to know where to find Jesus. We go back to chapter 21 when he says, and in the evening he would go and return to the Mount of Olives to rest for the evening. So this was a custom thing, customary thing that Jesus would be going um, to the Mount of Olives at night. Jesus would not try to elude Judas. He would not try to dodge the will of God. Instead, he's going to show us how to lean into that, lean into the struggle, lean into the pain, wrestling with his own desires in order to show full submission. He continues to show the disciples the importance of prayer in their lives as he tells them to pray so that they do not enter into temptation. Now, he doesn't elaborate here the specifics of this. So could it be the temptation to abandon Jesus, the temptation to sleep, or just temptation in general? I think yes. Yes to all. Prayer is an important thing in our life. It aligns us with the will of God. It opens us up to his strength. Through the power of the Spirit is how we approach this life. We use the word in order to resist the temptations of the enemy. Prayer is something that we need to practice frequently in our lives because we can just get into some routines. We can get into some ruts. We can fall into these patterns in our life where prayer just becomes a duty, something that we have to do rather than the joy of coming before the throne of the Father. On our faces, prostrate before him, before his holiness, praising who he is, listening to his word, his truth, his promises, praising him for the opportunity to serve him. When you think about it, prayer is truly a joy that I think we miss too much of. Then we see Jesus leaving his disciples there. He moves on ahead a little bit and crashes down to his knees in prayer. This prayer, its words, the attitude, the posture of Jesus shows the submissiveness of Jesus, which becomes a model for every disciple. A few interesting things surrounding this, I guess. In this time period, it was customary to stand when you were praying. Almost every commentary that I checked with said this. They wanted to draw up this point. I mean, we see in Matthew 6 when he references this, the Pharisees who stand on the street corner praying, who stand in the synagogues. We think of the Pharisee and the tax, tax collector who are standing in the temple. And I don't know how customs are made. I don't know how traditions get formed. I don't know how these perceptions get into our minds. But this wasn't always the case. In the Old Testament, we see people on their faces before God, laying prostrate on the ground. And for some reason, it's uncustomary for Jesus to be on his knees 
in public. Why? Why do we care so much about what other people think? I think of the customs today. I relate it to the, to the balance of one extreme being super reverent so as to not offend God or do anything irreverent to the point that the church is more like a mausoleum, stone statues, to the other extreme where everybody's running around hooting and hollering and praising God. Both of those extremes think that they are praising God and both think the other is crazy. How do we get to these points, understanding traditions and customs? Now, I'm not saying anything against our prayer times or worship here, but I do want to challenge them a little bit. You know, we sit in nice, comfy, soft chairs. Do you ever just kind of sink in a little bit after singing those four songs? I'm getting exhausted. Kind of sit down and just close your eyes during prayer time and maybe catch a little bit of rest? Wondering who's going to break that awkward silence by praying first? How many of us in this church would fall to our knees in desperation? Well, maybe not in public, right? Why do we care so much about what people think? Are we that pretentious of a people? Now, I also understand we don't have to kneel, that we could be praying or kneeling inwardly. Again, perhaps a fear of doing things that might bring up the question, what would people say? I also understand as I get older, it's physically harder to get up sometimes once you kneel. I get that. But there's also times that I recognize that I'm not wrestling appropriately before a holy God dealing with my sin. There was a picture, a comic strip once, when I was first entered ministry that was very convicting to me. And I don't remember all of the details, but I remember the gist of it. It was a comic strip that had two ladies that were sewing clothes, and they were having a conversation. Both were pastor's wives. The first the first uh, woman was saying how happy she was. Ministry was going great. People were getting more mature. They were growing in the spirit. Things were going great. Her husband was loving serving God. The second woman was complaining a little bit. The church was stagnated. They weren't growing. They weren't listening very well. Um, things weren't moving. There was caused stress on their marriage. He was ready to quit ministry. And a couple more panels of the comic had similar stories until it got to the last panel when they were saying their goodbyes. And it was shown that the first wife was sewing patches on her husband's knees, whereas the second wife was sewing patches on the bottom. And for me, it was a conviction to always be desperately in prayer as a pastor on my knees, on my face, before God. Yeah. 
Personally, I could care less about customs and traditions. I think they're annoying. I think they get in the way. I think that if the spirit moves, we need to be ready to obey at a moment's notice. Not concerned about what others are going to think. And in this moment, I think Jesus falling to his knees illustrates the weight, the pure heaviness on his soul with the magnitude of facing the punishment of sin. Some other areas that you can look up in Scripture this week in terms of people falling to their knees under the weight of pressure. You can study about Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as he falls to his knees under the weight of being stoned. Paul in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 7 through 19 I believe it's in verse 14, is where he expresses for this very reason of the church, the weight that's going on in the church, he is on his knees praying for them. Matthew and Mark, when talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, say that Jesus fell to the ground. One kind of more in a heap, more collapsing, and then Matthew says on his face, the weight of the world, the agony is felt. And I think that Jesus falling three times under the weight of the cross adds to this picture. Agony that I would not wish on anyone, but I think that we all need to taste a little bit of so that we know what Jesus went through. Kneeling in prayer here shows the intensity is more than just your standard forms of prayer. It's an intensity that's apparent as Jesus cries out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's such a bittersweet prayer. It's beautiful. And it's hard. A lot of our focus tends to be on not my will, but your will be done. It's a beautiful statement of submission. But do you ever struggle, do you ever wrestle with take this cup from me? I think this is a verse which if we wrestle well with, we can grow in our understanding of Jesus as fully God and fully man. A gap seems to have opened up here in his own will and the will of the Father. Yes, he commits himself to the will of the Father in the end, but we see this expression of his request, his own will. Through this simple prayer, through the wrestling that follows, we see the process that Jesus goes through to fall in line with the will of God over and against his own will. And this can be difficult to wrestle through. So I want to lean into it a little bit more this morning. I want to start with the word Father. Father. It denotes intimacy, closeness, trust. Mark uses Abba in this section. Daddy. Can you imagine the agony 
in crying out just that one word, Daddy. The pain, the stress, the agonizing torment, crying out for help. I think we can see the agony in Jesus' voice as he cries out, Daddy. But have you ever spent time on the flip side of that, understanding the father's agony as his son is crying out to him, Daddy? If my children are in terror or pain and they cry out, Daddy, I am there in an instant. I am ready to flip over cars. I'm ready to annihilate whatever is hurting them. The hold that that word can have. The agony of the father, I think, needs to be felt on many levels. The agony of the father because of Jesus and what he has to go through. What the rest of his children have suffered in terms of being fallen. The pain that he has to endure to the point that he would send his son to the cross. God would flip the world upside down to meet what was required to save his children. He doesn't have to, as we said in Sunday school. But he is loving and he is just. Equally. No matter the suffering or the agony that he would have to go through, he would do it. Do we ever think about the agony that sin causes the Father? The agony of Jesus as he understands that his time is near, that he would have to drink from this cup, knowing that maybe he doesn't want to drink it, but he must drink it. He wants the cup to be removed because it is a cup of bitter suffering. It is the wrath of God to be poured out on sin. Crying out, Father, probably with a lump in his throat. Knowing the Old Testament texts that express what is inside of this cup. Just a few from the Old Testament this morning in Isaiah. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who have drunk the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering. In the psalm. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all of the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Jeremiah 25. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from me, or take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. This cup, it would be so revolting, so grotesque, so abhorrent, that it's only because it is the will of the Father that Jesus would taste it. He is fully compliant with the will of God, over and against his own will, even though he has this simple request. 
the commitment that he has to the Father is more. In his request, if, showing a conditional meaning, he knows the truth, but he still asks. I think of Paul as he asks three times for the thorn to be taken away. And God's saying, my grace is sufficient. And eventually, Paul gets to that same understanding. And he is able to rejoice in that because he sees how God can work through his weaknesses. And God can have more glory. He had aligned himself to the will of God through trial, through hardship, through suffering, through wrestling, through agony. And through this prayer, through this time of wrestling, we see Jesus doing this as well. He elaborates further in verses 43 and 44. In this section, we see two things that are unique to Luke. First, an angel comes to strengthen Jesus. Now, perhaps this is done to show the supernatural strength that praying can bring. It doesn't automatically mean because you pray for something, it's going to be removed or that you're going to get what you pray for. More so, I believe it shows how, as you pray for things, God gives you the strength to go through what you're going through. The angel's presence does not remove the agony or the burden. In fact, it almost seems like the agony gets stronger. To me, this shows the struggle that Jesus is going through. And I think back to Luke chapter 4. You know, when we think of struggles... We all go through struggles, and they can appear differently. In Luke chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus, and we're privy to what's going on. We, we see that conversation. We see that interaction. But here in our passage, it seems like the battle is raging on the inside, and we don't get to see that. How often are our battles very similar to that? Where it's the battle of the wills of what I want to do versus what God might want us to do. And it's hidden behind blank stares and smiling faces. And some people struggle with these passages. Why would Jesus need to be strengthened? Why would Jesus question the will of God? I mean, he is God, right? And again, with the strengthening of the wills, this is where I believe we need to wrestle a little bit an understanding of fully God and fully man. I mean, we say that he has gone through all things that we go, go through and did not sin. So, is it a sin to me, need to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to seek God through prayer? Does Jesus have his own will? That's a tough one. At the end of Matthew chapter 4, it says that the angels come and minister to Jesus. And here we see an angel again being sent to Jesus to strengthen him. For some reason, we believe that Jesus doesn't need assistance of any kind or that he had no struggles. He faces the struggles and does not sin. He struggled through the temptations to land solidly on the will of God. The fact that you are struggling does not equate sin. Just because you're being tempted doesn't mean that you are going to sin. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He said, If God proportioned the shoulders to the burden, we shall have no reason to complain. 
whatever he is pleased to lay upon us. David owns this a sufficient answer to his prayer in the day of trouble, that God strengthened him with the strength in his soul, and so does the son of David. Now, Matthew Henry is referring to Psalm 138, uh, mainly that third verse, but verses 1 through 3. It says, I give, you, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. And Jesus would need this strength as he battles in prayer more earnestly now, as it says here in verse 44. He is praying to align himself with the will of God so that he can be in full submission. Because when we use the process of deduction, we can see it is not Jesus' will to want to drink from this cup. He asks this request. But he seeks earnestly, fervently, to align himself with what God wants or what God has willed over his own will. Voluntary submission is just that, voluntary. It's not forced. Jesus chooses to be the sacrifice, and he is in agreement with the Father. And here, it says that he is in agony, and he is more earnestly praying to the point of his sweat becoming like great drops of blood falling to the ground. It's quite the statement. There's different ways that we can look at this. We can look at this in the literal sense to the where the agony and the stress on the body is so extreme that it bursts the capillaries in your body and blood can seep out through your pores in that way. We can look at it in the literary sense, connecting the sweating and the bleeding to what's going to happen on the cross and how Jesus gives all of his blood or even back to the curse by the sweat of your brow. Regardless The word of God here shows that a battle is going on in prayer, a wrestling match that is agonizing. Obviously, the magnitude and the suffering that Jesus is experiencing is more immense than anything that we have felt. We feel the weight of things when we go through them. Like I said, sometimes it's a hangnail. Sometimes it's unbearable. But putting this into perspective, the weight of the sin of the world is in this cup that Jesus would have to drink from. And even before it happens, he is agonizing. He is wrestling with just the thought of having to drink it, knowing that it is the Father's will to do so. There are days and conversations that I have with the Lord that are agonizing, where I feel like there's got to be more than one angel around me, strengthening me, strengthening me through grief, through pain, through agony, through through empathic leadership. You know, pain, agony, grief, they all suck. They just do. But by the grace of God, we have the ability to be strengthened through His Spirit. I had mentioned a while back When I became a father, it put a new perspective on God for me. I could recognize different life experiences, and I can relate them to the father in different ways as I was dealing with my own kids. I'm wondering, hmm, I wonder if this is the thought that you have of me when I mess up. 
and then taking that grace that I've received and passing that down. You know, it has deepened my relationship with God because I'm able to see God in a different way, in a newer perspective, in a different lens. And we all have those types of connections. We all have those different things. Through the agony of losing a spouse, as I am able and willing, I can lean into the heart of God to understand pain, suffering, and loss in a deeper way. I can understand God's heart and that he does, not, he does not find pleasure in the death of the wicked. He desires, he does not desire for any to perish, but for all to come to him. And yet he knows that there will be those who reject his offer of love. He knows that there will be some that are lost to the enemy. You think of how many times you have been rejected in your life. The times that you have heard no. Multiply that by billions. To begin to touch on the agony that I think God feels for the lost. He is loving. He is just. The pain that he would experience would be immense. God is so loving and just that he sends his son to die, to bear the burden of sin for the sake of the fallen people. Jesus would give his life. And as it is said, be separated from the Father while the sin of the world is laid on his shoulders. The wrath of God being poured out, the cup being drank from agony. And I think this is the agony that Jesus is wrestling with, being separated from the Father, or having the feeling of being forsaken by the Father as he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think this shows us the beautiful picture of the union of the Godhead. the pain that would be caused. We could begin to lean into this pain this morning to understand the ugliness of sin and the loss that stems from that. And this is important for us to do so that we can experience the hope that follows. As we close up this section, Jesus resolves in himself with this deep time of prayer. And he stands, ready to move forward, ready to do the will of the Father. That's a, that's a verse of great hope for us. The great hope that we have in our Savior, our Redeemer and King. Now he goes to the disciples and he finds them asleep. Another translator says, says it this way, that they are worn out from grief. And I really resonated with that. Grief, agony, pain, stress, it's tiring, physically and mentally. But Jesus warns the disciples again to pray that they might not enter temptation, even through the weariness 
They are to be like watchmen at the ready. The battle lies ahead. We talked about that a little bit last week. It would be coming. Would they be ready? Weariness comes. Life wears us down. We're tired. We're stressed. We want to escape. But stay in prayer. Pray without ceasing, as Paul tells us, because that is where our strength comes from. That is where we find our refuge in God. You know, this passage is one I think is so amazing to just sit with, to resonate with, because we see the resolve of Jesus to be willing to go to the cross for us, knowing full well what he must taste. It's such a wonder to me, because I know the reprehensible things that I've done that are the cause of having that cup have, having to be poured out. But yet, that's how much God loves us. He stands. He stands ready to walk forward in the will of God, strengthened by him. Weary, weary and agony will come, but we too need to stand to be ready to do the will of God, just as Jesus does today. Wrestling through our own wills, aligning ourselves with the will of God before the temptations come, hopefully. To close this morning, I'm thinking of Isaiah 40. I want to close with this wonderful promise that he has. He says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Today, I want us to see that our Savior rises from agony. He rises from pain, just like he rose from death. And he stands firm. He stands firm in the will of God to accept this cup for our sakes. So let's praise him, hopefully with a deeper understanding of the agony that he went through. Father, as we... As we dive deeper into your heart, Lord, I ask for forgiveness for the times that I don't take things seriously, that I just assume certain things. I take too low a view of what you have gone through for our sakes, for my sake. Lord, I pray. I pray that as many of us are going through struggles right now, that we can be on our knees seeking your will and your face 
because there are voices, there are spirits, there are things all around us that are showing us ways contrary to your word, ways of escape, ways of pleasure, ways of selfish satisfaction. Father, I pray to be firm, to be standing in your will in everything that I say and do. Pray that your spirit would convict us this morning. price that needed to be paid because we are sinners. Lord, the agony is humbling. And we praise you this morning because you stand victorious because you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And we await your coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.